This is the Blaine Southern Podcast. Hello, I'm Arslan Mohammed. Last month, an extraordinary exhibition took place in Berlin over the course of the city's annual gallery weekend. Five Berlin-based artists, Jonas Bergert, David Nicholson, John Isaacs, Andreas Golder and Christian Achenbach, presented Ngoro Goro, a follow-up to their 2015 group show of the same name. Featuring over 140 artworks from friends, peers, colleagues and icons spread across Jonas Bergert's massive studio complex in the north of the city. This collision of chaos, beauty, drama and madness was a unique artist-led initiative that eschewed the conventions of gallery shows. No credits or notes by the work, organisation and curation by a committee of artists, nothing for sale, and in total it was a phenomenal success. Taking place in Weizensee, to the north of Berlin, over the city's gallery weekend, it nevertheless drew a remarkable number of visitors, almost 30,000, over the course of three days. In this edition of the podcast, we'll be talking to one of the key organisers behind the event, the artist Jonas Bergert. Fellow participants Nassan Tour, Sue Webster and Polly Morgan, and longtime collaborator and friend to the Ngoro Goro gang, musician and DJ James Lavelle, aka Uncle, to reflect on this special event. So let's start off with Jonas. And here we are in his studio the day after Ngoro Goro closed. We're talking now just a couple of days after it ended, and it really was a, a phenomenal event. I mean, there were queues of people all the way down the street. You had over 100, I think 140 plus artworks here from artists around the world. Um, people have been talking about it. Ever. Let's go back to the beginning. When did you originally uh, come up with the idea of Ngoro Goro? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I would say it's four years ago or something like this. We, we decided, because it's the whole area of studios here, we are all neighbors and artists working here permanently. And we thought there's something missing. It's a platform to invite uh, artists as colleagues, you know, so that artists invite artists to make a show without, I don't know, without any labels and uh, galleries and institutions and art fairs and all these things. This is what we all have to do for sure in our normal life and yeah. business. And this is, uh, you know, it's all good, but there's something missing. It's a platform for to, to I don't know, to figure out the edges of what we can do and to have a kind of a, a collapsing situation of individuals uh, clashing to each other. And this is what we thought about, was just to invite other artists we, we, we like, in a way, and uh, to have these individual positions coming together here. Right. So we didn't want to have a, how is it called, a, a, a theoretical uh, overview or a, 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 curatorial, a curatorial concept, curatorial which is concept. a curatorial yeah. concept. <laughs> um, uh, uh, which is like an intellectual idea to to figure out which artist is fitting in my idea. Um, uh, so we wanted uh, to trust in these individuals, you know, so to, to say, okay, each of these artists is trying for 10, 15, 20, 30 years um, uh, to find one point of view to the world, you know, one way to roam. Right. And uh, this is what we want to show, you know, we want to show just emotionally, we, we choose just by emotion, What's intense? What's the intensity of this point of view? That's all. So if there was any overarching concept, it would be that. Artists that convey a certain intensity, have a certain degree of experience, and in your eyes and in the eyes of your colleagues here, have achieved something that's kind of special, that's identifiably special. 
it seems to be so, right? Yeah. I don't know. So we, we just had this idea and to do this. Others, I think this also happened in other places, but maybe not in this big format, you know, like we, we did it now. And it's very, in, this, in this case, this year, it was also very international artists from around the world here. And, um, and, and we stayed, we, we kept our line, you know, we, we walked on on this idea, what we started with in the beginning was no logos, no sponsorings, no entrance mm. fee, and all artists are equal. We have very, very uh, 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 famous artists here next to totally unknown artists, like even students we had uh, on the wall, because we, we just choose like our feeling of intensity of the art piece, mm -hmm. and then it doesn't matter what kind of name is behind it. So is that also one of the reasons why you chose not to have information by the artwork? So you didn't want exactly, that to exactly. get we in also, the way of people's yeah. experience? We thought no labels pushed on the wall next to the art piece. And that's the reason why we found this compromise, just to have one big floor plan and one place where you can find the artist if you really want to find it. <laughs> uh, but, but the art should have been pure on the walls. You know? It's quite a quite a huge undertaking, and especially none of you are professional curators or art handlers or shippers. You're all artists, this is what you do. Yet somehow, this group of you have managed to scale this massive, massive show. Could you just tell me a little bit about how that happened? I mean, how, how yeah. you went about it? Uh, this is this is hardcore, I tell you. <laughs> you know, to, uh, it's like 160 artists, and I don't know, in the end, something like around about 300 art pieces. And uh, um, I don't know, it's a big logistic uh, thing in the end. On the, on the back, we have a very good team of people helping us. In the first show three years ago, we, we didn't have this so much, and mm. so it was very chaotic and all right. And, but now we have a very good team behind us, helping us. It's like a big crew. And, um, and so, so this worked out in the end because we said everybody does the job he is really able to do, you know, and not, <laughs> not the other case. It's a bit more organized. Yeah, it's a bit more organized, and uh, we financed the whole show earlier with uh, producing a, an edition of our seven, the seven artists here on the yard permanently working. They made an edition with prints and uh, these kind of things, and we, we sold this for to finance the show that we are uh, a bit safer because last time we had a lot of debts in the end. Mm -hmm. And uh, this time we hope, we don't know, we didn't finish the bills now, but <laughs> we hope that we'll be equal in the end and right. we have no, no debts. That's, a, that's a, the, the, the target we have. You know? And obviously the big question is, will you do this again? <laughs> in the moment it's a, a totally <laughs> right absurd question because we are all, I don't know, we all want to sleep now a yeah. whole week, you know? But uh, maybe, we will see. We, we only do it if we really like to do it. So otherwise, you cannot make something like this. this you have to be really passionate in this. Uh, otherwise, you, you will fail, I think. You know, it's not a job, it's a, it's a passion. And mm. a, a, you know, in the end, it's a nice miracle showing up for five days and disappears. And this is the idea, you know, right. like, like what was this? And you know, to irritate your brain. And this is nice if you do it from time to time but we cannot do it next year or something like that. So we have to, you know, calm down a bit and then, <laughs> because we are normally, we are all artists and we have our jobs to do. It's not our profession to do something like this. And speaking of that, um, what, are, what do you have coming up over the next few months? Oh, I make holidays now. That's very good. Holidays. <laughs> That's your next project. <laughs> My next holiday. project yes. is holidays. No, then I have, uh, the next uh, bigger thing is a museum show coming in the art museum in, uh, at the Rhine River. Mm -hmm. And this big Richard Meyer uh, building, it's a, a 
in 2020, in February 2020, and I, I uh, paint the whole thing new. It's a whole big series of works, and it's a big museum, so I have to to uh, work a lot for this. Right. That's the next thing. So your plans are sleep, holiday, museum. <laughs> yes, Fantastic. exactly. Well, Jonas, thank you so much for talking to us. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That was Jonas Burgert, now safely relaxing on a beach somewhere sunny. Now, another Berliner who participated in the show is Nassan Tur, a multimedia installation and visual artist whose contribution to the event was entitled Once Upon a Time. A vast drooping canopy of flags from former nation states suspended from the ceiling and pooling onto the floor. It was quite a remarkable piece, so I met up with him in a nearby cafe to find out what it was all about. Can you tell us about the piece that was one of the more striking pieces, uh, a large installation of flags? What was it, what was it called? Yeah, the name of the work is Once Upon a Time. And one, once Upon a one, Time. Once yeah. Upon a Time. And there are uh, actually eight, eight big flags, six to four meter each one, which are hanging just on one, on one corner. Yeah. Uh, and they're hanging really... Uh, they're, how do you say, uh, overlapping each yeah. other and hanging and some uh, half part of it is uh, just lying on the floor and you even can't see anymore which kind of flags they are and uh, what they have all in common actually are that these flags uh, are representing countries which are not existing anymore but they disappeared already they were like revolutions for these countries presidents systems uh, people died for it that uh, they came out and uh, and now they're not existing anymore. And in a kind of a way, this is in a way a monument for for the past, for these nations. But also, it has a lot to do with the future, actually, because each of our nations, uh, which we know now, let's say uh, Great Britain or or Germany or Italy, they will also not exist in the future. Uh, uh, I mean, it's only a kind of invented idea of nation or nationality. And, and, and that's, that's the point. I mean, it, it really deals about like that idea of finding your identity inside of a nation, uh, uh, but also question it about how, I mean, like, uh, is, is there... How permanent. How permanent it is, but yes. also like what makes it uh, relevant, mm. uh, uh, these invented things. Uh, well, Masson, thank you very much for talking to us today. Yeah, it's thank a, you too. Pleasure yeah. to, to meet you. And that was Nassan Tour. London's Sue Webster, along with Tim Noble, had three pieces in Ngorogoro, reflecting the vivid, dark and light dichotomy at the heart of the duo's practice. The Sacrificial Heart was a massive neon blinking heart-shaped installation that greeted visitors as they entered the Ngorogoro space, while deeper in, you would find two shadow sculptures, the wonderfully grotesque and sexy collisions of scrap metal, light, sex toys and shadows. I met with Sue at her Berlin hotel to ask about the work featured in the show and what she made of the whole event. It's nice to see you Sue, it's nice to see you here in Berlin and uh, you are in Ngoro Goro, a massive group show mm -hmm. organized by Jonas and you have a work of yours and Tim's and it's the big heart. It's the big Describe it. The sacrificial heart. Yeah, well, it was like in '97 we made a giant. One of our first light sculptures was called Toxic Schizophrenia. So it was like a two-dimensional light sculpture with 
512 light bulbs and it was flat on the wall and it ran a sequence of life and death and I've always wanted to make a three-dimensional version of that so I guess some god it must have been like 20 years later wow. that 2007 Yes. Ten, is that 10 no, years that's later? Ten, that's so 10 years later. <laughs> I never did maths at school. I'm an artist. I didn't do maths. <laughs> 10 years later, we made a three-dimensional version, yeah. But I had to work with a team of people this time. So it's like a 3D version. It's like back-to-back yeah. -back of that. And I wanted it... Because I'm obsessed by Las Vegas. Tim and I always used to... We used to go to Las Vegas on holiday and then walk up and down the strip and draw and make notes of and we just used to research the lights outside the casinos, etc. And they always had these um, light sculptures on poles, high yeah, up. When you, yeah, If you're traveling yeah. across America, you know, they... And you see them from the plane, don't you? You see them, from, yeah, and also you see them if you're driving down the highway, you know, and they have the big, they have advertising slogans on poles, so you can sort of, oh God, there's the next McDonald's, or I'll stop off here and have a Starbucks. So I quite like the idea of putting something up. So I always wanted to do something on a pole, so we, we made it more ridiculous. We took it off the wall, made it three-dimensional, and then put it on a pole, and then made it spin round. So it's kind of like pushing it as far as possible. So yeah, it's that's really pushing it to the limit, isn't it? I mean, it's the, it's the big, brash, vacancy, uh, ostentatious, wonderfully mad limit. It's a, like it's an advertising sign of life and death. I mean, it has a s sequence that. The, the, the blood in the heart fills up and then it starts pumping yeah. and it's spinning round and it's alive and everything comes alive. There's a scroll, so it's like a tattoo. So the scroll lights up and then it's flashing and it's all singing or dancing and then the dagger yeah. comes yeah. on and stabs it and then everything, the life of it drains out and then it drips. We've got these three blood drips that drip off the edge of the sword. Yeah. So it's kind of like, and then it comes and then it goes off and everyone goes, oh, and then it comes back up again, you know. So it's like, <laughs> But it looks really good in the Ungaro and Garo space because we've only ever exhibited that piece in a in a immaculate white wall gallery. So what's beautiful about what um, Jonas and the boys, the curators of Ungaro and Garo, have done is that they've they've transformed their working environments, their studios. Their there's like it's like a huge artists um, community, isn't it? And it's full of like. Some, some of the buildings look like almost bombed out and graffitied, yeah. like there used to be some sort of illegal nightclub going on in there or something. So it's it probably was, <laughs> at some point. There was, and yeah. then I've been going there for a few years because I've known those boys for a while now. It was mainly through my connection with John Isaacs, mm. who has a, well, he's involved with these guys, but he used to, have a, used, used to have a studio around the corner from me in London. So he kind of, he says, I'm doing this thing, you know, and I, you know, we're trying to get some English artists involved and would you, would you be involved? And I said, yeah. So I came over and looked at that space it's actually the weekend that John got married. I think that's when I came out. And I was like, it was like, it seemed like the middle of nowhere. But when I turned up, went behind those gates, there's a swimming pool <laughs> and there's a changing room. And the swimming pool is like nicer it's than the great, one, <laughs> the nicer than the, nicer than one on the roof here at the yeah. hotel. And it's like, I just thought what a beautiful environment they've built yeah. for themselves. And it keeps expanding. So every time they get some more money, they refurbish another derelict space. But at the moment, the sacrificial heart is spinning in a kind of run-down, burnt-out... It's got its own place, right? Really. Yeah. You, you can't miss it, you walk in, it's right there. And it works, because it's it's the it's kind of, it's, it's the opposite. So it's like, it's it's not it's this pristine sculpture, quite expensive-looking thing, but it's not in an expensive-looking gallery. It's in a, it's in a squat, mm. if you like. So that's yeah. the opposite thing makes it work. It, make, it just, it looks great. It's the best it's ever looked, I think. So when when uh, Ngoro Goro Part Two, which is this one, mm. around, did you uh, 
pretty much know straight away that you wanted to put this piece into the show. And how, how, how did that come about? I came here and visited the site again in February this year because I know that Jonas had actually it developed more rooms. Oh, right. So it's going to be a much bigger exhibition space. And I came and like just... I got shown around and I just I went back to London and I just thought, yeah, this, I knew... In fact, it's quite interesting because the sacrificial heart was kind of like the, 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 the bottom of the list. I wanted oh, to really? put more... I wanted to put some shadow work, some more gruesome course, works. Yeah, yeah. So I chose Double Header, Double Pleasure, which was a work that I knew... Have some of the shadow works in there. We've got the, two shadow yeah, works yeah. in there. We've got a, a rat and trap, which is kind of trashy, and then it makes a shadow on the wall of a... It's like a pile of trash metal. Yeah. And when you shine a light on it, it makes a perfect shadow of a rat walking towards its destiny, i.e. a trap. And then we've also got Double Header, Double Pleasure, which is um, a head study. Of, it's a silhouette of Tim and I, but it's made from... Um, sex toys from yeah. Ann Summers, so it's like built. Of, it's built of like giant dildos, and it's it's got resin poured all over it, so it's like dripping with juices, etc. And I, I I wanted more gruesome works, so yeah. I thought, yeah, gruesome works. But it's actually interesting because the gruesome works get lost in the gruesomeness of the buildings. Right. Because okay. so you wanted me to contrast <clears throat> with that. So yeah. So actually, the, the 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 least interesting piece I thought was Sacrificial Heart. I thought, yeah, this is a huge, big light sculpture. Let's put that in here. But it actually works the best. That wasn't the sacrificial heart, wasn't it? No. Actually, it didn't come to mind first No, off. not originally, no. Right. I wanted, yeah, it's like I say, so it's interesting how the complete opposite works best. Yeah. You know, something beautiful works in a rundown space more than something gruesome. Right. That's a really good point. And um, I think, yeah, because yeah, you've got the beautiful neon, big hearts, bright yeah. red, yeah. in that kind of In a graffitied room, yeah. Rug, you know, it, it is like an open-fronted squat like you're saying isn't yeah, it yeah it's got no door on it let's go back to the, sh the shadow pieces I mean, yeah. when, when you and Tim first started doing this how did how did you get into that I mean, what, how did that body work how did, we, how did we invent yeah. the shadow sculpture it was by accident because we were making light sculptures and because we had to rely on ordering parts i.e. light bulbs yeah, yeah. and various materials while they while we were waiting for the parts to come to the studio in the post we were like twiddling our thumbs going, oh, I want to get on with some making something with our hands. And so I think Tim started messing around with just trash that was in the studio. Right. And um, I must have walked in to a light. He had a beam of light and he saw my face yeah. made the silhouette on the wall. And um, he started making a sculpture of that, right. I think, just by a complete accident. It was wow. an experiment, yeah. So that's how... And then, it, and then it was like something gruesome made something beautiful. Yeah. And... It was the the brain. It was tricking the brain. The brain was not used to go. Well, hang on a minute. How does that make that? How does that something completely abstract make something really beautifully representational? And um, at first, we were embarrassed by these things. Really? You know, yeah. Because what? we didn't know what they were. You know, they, yeah. they'd never been done before. So we were absolutely terrified. You know, showing them. And so it's almost a bit like I was saying with Angora and Goro. It's like we did a we did a first exhibition of big flashing light sculptures. And then we shoved this sort of shadow work right at the end, thinking, oh, well, you know, it's hit or miss, whether anyone's going to get that or recognise it. And, um, and, of course, it turned out to be yeah. a thing that we've, um, yeah, we've, we've, we've continued to build on for years. That was Sue Webster. Now, another Londoner who is featured in both Angora Goro exhibitions is Polly Morgan, who here presented a number of recent works, featuring her characteristic blending of taxidermy with snakes and hedgehogs creating mind-bending sculpture. I asked Polly how she came to be involved with the show and what she thought of Ngoro Goro. 
I got involved with Ngorogoro through some of the artists who set it up, because I know some of them, and they approached me and asked me to be involved. Um, and I, I've been working on a new body of work recently, which is based on the colours that we see in hospitals. I spent a bit of time in hospitals on and off over the last few years and just got thinking about the colour. I, I, I became so familiar with the palettes used and I started to think about why they use those colours and what, what's the thinking behind it, which I think is often about calming us and um, trying to present a more sterile environment or somewhere that it reassures us is safe and clean. And I liked juxtaposing that with my taxidermy works, which have become more and more abstract recently. So there's been there was three abstract sculptures that I put in, along with two wall works. I've been experimenting with photographing um, works in progress and these strange little kind of mise-en-scene that appear as I'm working, um, and just capturing them as they are, and then kind of relating them back to the sculptures themselves once they're made. It was amazing to see an exhibition staged on that scale uh, in artist studios, set up, uh, curated by and installed by artists. I was really impressed. I hadn't been there before, and I, I, was, I just wasn't expecting it to be anything like as ambitious as it was. And just so well presented and installed. Who needs gallerists? <laughs> Legendary producer, DJ, and artist James Lavelle, a.k.a. Uncle, featured work by Jonas Burgess on the sleeve of his latest album, The Road Part One, released last year, with further pieces by Ngorogoro artists David Nicholson and John Isaacs. A longtime friend and collaborator, he curated the Stanley Kubrick-inspired exhibition Daydreaming at London's Somerset House in 2016, which included works by artists including Matt Collishaw, Polly Morgan, David Nicholson, Jonas and John Isaacs. Here, I asked him how he came to be associated with them, and what he made of Goro Goro. So I met uh, Jonas Berger about eight years ago. Um, he had a studio opposite the power station he is now. I'd seen his work at his first um, London Blaine Southern show. I was friends with Graham Southern and I was working on a um, the first daydreaming show where I was getting various artists to react to the work of uncle basically paint you know sculpture whatever works would react to records we've made and um he showed interest in it so i went to meet him at the studio um, and i met wolfgang shopman there the first painting i ever saw was what became the painting for the front cover of the new album the road we hung out we got on really well and that weekend i i went to a preview a, a private show with jonas and wolfgang of the Ulfbrick uh, gallery, the Me Gallery, um, at a bit about midnight, and you know I saw the amazing Wunderkammer and all these uh, the personal collection, and through that I saw a painting by David Nicholson, and Wolfgang then introduced me to him, and we became very good friends uh, through David. I met John Isaacs, I met him in London actually at Groucho's, and he was um, rather antagonising that night. Um, which was sort of quite entertaining, but um, we became very close. Um, over the last seven years, we've ended up working together on various projects. You know, Jonas has contributed to the first Daydreaming show. We worked on the Stanley Kubrick uh, Daydreaming show, and uh, all three artists contributed to that. And whilst that was going on, I started working a few years ago on my new album and basically asked them all to contribute to the artwork amongst some other artists that I work with. Um, and Yes, yeah, so Jonas basically co contributed the cover work amongst other paintings. 
and John and David created work for it. And yeah, I I was asked by Dave uh, by John actually, the first Ngoro Ngoro show to be involved, and we all became a bit of a crew, you know. So Jonas then got the place across the road, and and I, over the last eight years, I've seen that the the building become what it has, and met all the the various people that have worked there, whether it's been artists or his staff. And we've all became quite close. And so I think it became a very natural community and journey that, that, that it became sort of seeing this world grow. And also, you know, uh, my involvement in the art world um, become more prevalent, I suppose. And um, so there was something very organic. And when they are, when John was putting together Nagoro and Goro with everybody else, he asked me to collaborate with him on that. We did that with we did a piece which was basically a neon where which said when you talk about love you make me feel invisible, with a Bentley a burnt out sort of Bentley, with music a track called Requiem that I scored for it in there and that was the first one and this time, I ended up uh, DJing. I suppose the, what was it about Jonas's piece that it just felt very apt for, the cover I was. Um, finally a solo artist in this record and so I kind of wanted an image which was sort of a, a sort of an image that represented that and the past and the future I, f I felt that painting had this amazing way of dealing with the past the present and the future you have the old man you have the, the headless man on the horse you have the um, strange kind of skeleton creature and all these things sort of represent stages of life but I also felt that the coloring because Jonas you know, when I wanted to do the work for the album, he was like, look, you can use anything you like. But it was funny that I went back to the first ever painting that I saw when I walked in to his um, studio. But also because it has this amazing sort of duality between um, street art in the sense of the surroundings. There's a lot of graffiti in the painting and the colouring. But it also has the temporary uh, modern painting um, sensibility about it. It was otherworldly, it felt this other universe, but it also felt the Headless Horseman that it sort of represented. I, I sort of t I took an idea of it being me. I suppose when you look at art or hear songs, sometimes there's amazing ability to be able to make it about yourself. So that's my relationship with the painting. I think it's amazing. I think the ability for the artist to take back control and do something like that and in, 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 um, in anywhere is amazing, but also I think the that place has an amazing heart and soul. And I think what Jonas has done creating that place is he's invested back into his community. And I think it is a community. For me, they're some of my best friends in the world. I, it, it is a crew. It's There's this sort of amazing community that's come out of that space. And I think that's why the show works so well, because at the heart and soul of it, it has that and it's real. And that was James Lavelle wrapping up this edition of the Blaine Southern Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, check us out on Apple Podcasts and subscribe for future updates and follow us on social media. But till next time, thanks for listening and bye for now.
The Plain Southern Podcast is written and presented by me, Arslan Mohammed, and thanks to all our contributors for their input and help with this edition. Music is Arm's Length by Uncle, featuring Elliot Power, Mink, and Yazee. The original version is on the album The Road Part 1, courtesy of Uncle, Songs for the Death. <laughs>